Today's guest on the podcast is Dr. Will Cole. He's a functional medicine expert and comes to us with his new book, The Inflammation Spectrum. I enjoyed this podcast as much as I did the prior one where he was on, I guess, about a year and two years ago, maybe. And I love everything that he represents um, from working on cooling the inflammation in our systems to being aware of how food, nutrition, environment impacts our health. I learned a lot in this episode, just as I did before, but I am very, very excited about his new book, The Inflammation Spectrum. This is speaking my language, you guys. I have learned so much about my body over the past five or six years and how much inflammation plays a role in my not only physical health, my body fat, but my mental health. Huge, huge stuff. So definitely listen to this one, pick up his new book, and enjoy this episode with Dr. Will Cole. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day. And it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I am excited about our returning guest today. Dr. Will Cole is here. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm awesome. Thanks so much for coming back. Your episode was a was a big one. So yay. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to talk again. So what have you been up to? It's been, I guess, what, two years, maybe <clears throat> going on. Two Has years. it been? Yeah. I wow. Think so. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Time flies. A eh? that's that's true. Uh, and I I've been up to a lot, a lot. Ketotarian, my first book came out, uh, and it's, it's sort of, uh, it's this mostly plant-based ketogenic lifestyle guide uh, for people to learn how to go keto the clean way um, with vegan keto, vegetarian keto, and pescatarian keto options. So my day job, though, is seeing patients. So I see patients around the world via webcam consultations at my functional medicine center. So that happens during the week. And then typically over the weekends, I have been traveling to different uh, cities uh, to talk about uh, ketotarian. And uh, I love I love it. So it's it's cool. And I get to bring I have two kids. I have a 13 year old and a 10 year old. And I normally get to bring one of them with me or my wife and all of us go to the different speaking events. So it's fun that I get to because uh, I don't get to see them when I'm seeing patients, obviously, right. at the clinic online. So it's fun that we get to kind of do these adventures and talk about what I love over the weekend, most weekends. And then uh, I started a new a podcast uh, with Goop. Uh, Goop is Gwyneth Paltrow's um, wellness brand. And Gwyneth and Elise, uh, the chief content officer at Goop, uh, uh, host the main podcast, the Goop podcast. And then Seamus Mullen, who's a, an amazing chef and friend of mine, uh, him and I uh, host Goop Fellas, which is uh, a kind of a, a guy's perspective on wellness and talk, bringing, I think, more guys to the conversation that applies to them, but they don't know it applies to them <laughs> when it comes right. to different health topics. Um, because wellness is so female-driven, I, I think giving a voice to people that 
don't really they need to take responsibility for their life too um guys do and we and hopefully um, people can see themselves in the conversations we're having so i'm doing that and now my second book is coming out the inflammation spectrum i don't know how the heck i'm doing you've got so much free time (laughs) yeah the 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 same 24 hours right oh man i don't know if it applies to you when you just keep going (laughs) no it does it does and i you know it's but i'm really excited for the inflammation spectrum it's this deep dive into this uh the science and research around inflammation how it impacts our brain as far as anxiety and depression and fatigue and autoimmune conditions we just deep dive into the science make it easy to understand and it's this exploration of food and life itself that the factors that research shows are constantly and dynamically instructing inflammation cascades and how it's impacting so many people and they don't even know it so i'm really excited for people to read the inflammation spectrum i'm super excited about it as well i know you and i talked offline about my health (laughs) a couple years ago and i mean i've cleaned up everything so much so much and then two weeks ago my parents came in town and I just like forgot all of my nutritional and you know health morals and I just went off the deep end with some you know not not bad food because we don't want to categorize anything as bad but food that did not suit me and it was really weird because I became really crabby I thought the world was ending I hated everything. I, and, and I thought back, there's no way that this is because of what I ate. And then I thought, it's exactly why. Yeah. <laughs> this is exactly why. So talk a little bit about how, like, the research behind, you, you mentioned depression, anxiety with nutrition. Like, how is this, how is this impacting us, really? Sure. Uh, and it's so important because the things that we're talking about here when it comes to anxiety, depression, brain fog, fatigue, um, like irritability and uh, inflammation, like uh, autoimmune conditions are just so there's such a rise of mental health issues and autoimmune conditions uh, and that commonality between those two things and many other things like diabetes, heart disease, cancer is chronic inflammation. Uh, inflammation by itself is not a problem. It, it, it fights viruses and bacteria. It's a, a, an amazing aspect of our immune system uh, and healthy, balanced, modulated Uh, inflammation levels are needed for optimal human health, no doubt about it. The problem is when there's a breaking of the Goldilocks principle, you know, not too high, not too low, but just right at the right time. And that definitely applies to inflammation like it applies to our hormones, like it applies to our gut microbiome, bacteria, and it implies on a planetary level when it comes to our environment. It's about balance and homeostasis. So the problem with uh, inflammation when you talk about its implication in, in mental health issues or autoimmune conditions or all these other chronic health problems, it's it's chronic inflammation. It's inflammation that's too high for too long. And this sort of insidious uh, perpetuation of inflammation is an is- issue because inflammation in one area of the body can impact other areas of the body because the body's interconnect- interconnected. It's made up of cells and the crosstalk of cells and the communication of cells with hormones uh, neurotransmitters are being impacted. Um, so it is uh, the, it's the connection with that and food is every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it. There's no innocuous you know, food. There's no benign meal it's doing one or the other it's mm-hmm. and there are there are foods that will serve 
one party or the other in bigger ways and some in smaller ways. Some are less uh, problematic, but they're doing one or the other. And because we're all individual, and this is the heart of functional medicine, bio-individuality, there's not a hard like line, one-size-fits-all, broad-sweeping general like recommendations other than eat real food. Okay, right. yeah, that, that is the broad-sweeping statement. But under the umbrella of eat real food and whole foods, what does that look like? And I've seen like good vegetables or good meats or good fruits or good whatever's uh, under the umbrella of whole real foods. One, it works great for one person and that same food can flare the next person up. This is bio-individuality. This has to do with our gut microbiome, has to do with genetics, has to do with hormone imbalances or hormone balances, has to do with all these different variables. This confluence of different genetic and epigenetic factors that determine how it's impacting inflammatory cascades in our body. So specific with anxiety and depression and the things you were talking about or just irritability and mood, uh, not being balanced or not feeling good mood wise. Uh, there's a whole field of, of research called the cytokine model of cognitive function. Basically, how does inflammation impact how your brain works? And we like to think that, you know, it's a mental health issue and it's a separate thing than our body, but our mental health is physical health. Mm-hmm. And the things that we do in our life, like physical things, the foods that we eat, impact our mood in many different ways. It impacts brain chemistry, it impacts hormone balance, both of which will impact our mood. And inflammation plays a major role of that communication of neurotransmitters and hormones. Uh, and specifically, neuroinflammation is being looked at uh, in uh, the the dysfunction of anxiety, depression, and fatigue, and these mental health issues in a lot of cases. And obviously there are external situations too, or situational anxiety and situational depression, but guess what? Our external circumstances, like someone has a stressful job or a toxic relationship in their life, or they're not getting enough sleep, all of these external things are also instructing inflammation. So it's not just about food, it's definitely about circumstances as well, but it's bi-directional. You know, our emotions and thoughts impact our physiology, but our physiology also impacts our thoughts and emotions, too. So it is uh, something that these are the things I look at for my patients when we consult online. Um, But it's also the conversation and the questions that I'm asking in the inflammation spectrum for people to have that light bulb moment and say, whoa, I thought this was just normal. This isn't normal. I don't have to feel this background anxiety. I don't have to feel this debilitating fatigue, like living on sugar and caffeine just to get through the day and needing that nap. This is sadly uh, ubiquitous, these issues, but these are things that people in large part should not settle for because they're improvable and reversible and overcomable things um, in most cases. So uh, it's it's definitely we have to look at food. We have to look at how it's impacting our mood and our hormones and our brain. Um, and we're just beginning the conversation and hopefully people can lean into this information to start improving their life. Right. And so many of us don't even realize that we feel bad. I mean, that's one of the themes I've noticed over the last probably five years, because I know you and I talked about it. I quit drinking and I didn't realize that drinking, I mean, I knew it wasn't making me feel great, but I didn't realize exactly how bad it was until I removed it. And yeah. a lot of us, I think, don't realize how bad we feel. 
until mm-hmm. we get it straight. So what are some steps that you recommend in, in your book or just from a practical standpoint? To You said bio-individuality. How do people begin to figure out what works for them and how to quiet some of the noise, the nutritional noise that's out there? Yeah, and it is a... a, a what it's this strange dichotomy of the time that we live in it's there's a growing level of health problems that uh, have inflammation at its root or its commonality um, and we have this all this content on online uh, with when it comes to the health blogosphere and books to read and podcasts and all that stuff it's content on content and then you have both of these things arising at the same time it can be quite a disillusioning time for many people that don't feel well they know they're in tune with their body enough to know I want to feel better, right. um, but they don't know where to start. And I think that's a that's definitely the second point that I make in the inflammation spectrum. The first is just ed- educating people that inflammation exists on a spectrum. And I actually do think that's a good place to start of checking in with your body. We open up the book with the inflammation spectrum quiz. Um, and the quiz that's in the book is also on drwillcole.com for free if people just want to take the quiz uh, and start there. Um, But we go through the different sections of the inflammation spectrum. We look at brain and hormones and digestion and musculoskeletal and detox. And we look at autoimmunity. We look at something called polyinflammation or the interconnectedness of the different systems of their body. So for example, we we keep using this example of mood um, imbalance or anxiety, depression or fatigue. Well, the gut's our second brain. It's formed from the same fetal tissue, meaning your gut and brain are formed as you're growing in your mom's womb. Your gut and brain are formed together. What? Uh, and are, yeah. Really? Yeah, it is. I feel it's, like it, I've heard your butt, your butt, your gut and brain are connected, but I didn't realize they yeah. actually were. Yeah. So the that. gut That's crazy. Born, and they're con- interconnected for the rest of our life, inextricably linked for the rest of our life through the gut-brain axis is what's referred to in the scientific literature and in functional medicine through the vagus nerve, the enteric nervous system. And if you think about it, the intestines even look like the brain uh, physically. Uh, And 95% of our serotonin, our happy neurotransmitter, is made in the gut, stored in the gut, not the brain. So that's the second brain, our our intestinal system. So this polyinflammation and looking at gut-centric inflammation impacting the brain uh, is an example of polyinflammation. Inflammation in one area can beget inflammation in another area. Uh, and these are things that, again, we look uh, at. You can quantify on labs. You can look at it, things like intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome, dysbiosis, things like histamine intolerance, different food reactivities, and the impact that has on the brain. Um, so that is definitely something that people need to check in with their body and kind of see where the inflammation levels are at. Uh, and they can do that through the quiz subdiagnostically and just checking in with their body, or they can run labs. Uh, and these are labs that we run for patients all around the world, or they can get find a local functional medicine doctor or a regular doctor to run some of the labs, because some of the labs are just basic low-cost labs that any GP or PCP can can run. So things like high sensitivity C-reactive protein or HSCRP, it's an inflammatory marker in functional medicine. We want it under one. Uh, homocysteine is a, another inflammatory marker. In functional medicine, we want homocysteine to be under seven. And you're saying uh, in functional medicine because like the averages for like normal outside of functional medicine are probably higher, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 
the and we probably talked about that the, in the first time we talked but basically the reference ranges are based on a statistical bell curve average of people who go to that lab so people that go to labs are not the healthiest bunch of people sadly uh, and there's a lot of people that go to their doctor to say like hey I, I know I don't feel well like these symptoms are not normal for me and these labs get ran these basic labs and then the labs come back like quote unquote normal even though the person knows like heck like this isn't normal for me these symptoms are definitely not normal but you're told you're just depressed here's an antidepressant or you just you're just getting older you're you're a new mom or all of these sort of well-intentioned reasons but it's like okay when the kids get older and you're not a new mom anymore and you still feel lousy okay what is it now so we have to start digging deeper and actually what's going on here physiologically um so that is uh, these are the things that we look at uh ferritin is another one that we run it's it's a biomarker for stored iron but and when it's higher, it can be considered what's called an acute phase reactant. So basically, when uh, the body's in a state of inflammation, ferritin can spike. And then we run more advanced labs, obviously, in functional medicine. Like those three that I just mentioned are labs that any doctor can run, any GP, PCP. You don't have to be in functional medicine. And then the other labs that we run in functional medicine are a little bit more advanced that we can run for people when it's clinically appropriate, obviously. But like, think, like uh, gut uh, in, inflammatory markers like calprotectin and ly- lysozyme, uh, looking at methylation like MTHFR, these gene SNPs, look at, looking at the endocannabinoid system, which everybody's you know, hearing about CBD, CBD. Well, CBD, the, the compound that's in hemp oil, is, works on our cannabinoid, endocannabinoid system, uh, um, the ECS. That is throughout our body. And... Um, there are people with gene variants to these cannabinoid gene uh, uh, gene SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms, these gene variants basically that we're born with. Some people have more sluggish ca- cannabinoid receptor sites, uh, what are called CB1 receptors. And the CB1 receptors are in our gut, in our, gastro- our gastrointestinal system, our second brain. Uh, and those people that are, have these sluggish CB1 respe- receptors are more prone, it's shown in the studies, to have higher inflammation levels and more food reactivities and somewhere on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum that I talk about in the book. So it's this confluence of genetics and epigenetics. It's obviously predominantly epigenetics, lifestyle stuff, like so the foods we're eating or not eating, our stress levels, our exposure to toxins, our sleep, all of these stuff are instructing our genetics. Uh, but we have to look at genetics, too, because that is a, f- a factor, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, these are the things that I think way too much about. <laughs> but but <laughs> hopefully, so fascinating. Oh, my gosh. But when you say inflammation, so let's say eight years ago, I would have thought, okay, well, I just need to take in a leave for this inflammation because that's kind of what people think when they hear inflammation. So if you're talking to someone who's very new to functional medicine, to their own health, and they've just been pounding Big Macs for the last 20 years, can you explain inflammation to them like a, you know, a very young child? Like, what does it mean? What does inflammation mean that you're talking about? Sure. So inflammation is a product of the immune system. Again, it's not inherently bad. It's, it fights viruses and bacteria. It's healthy, balanced inflammation is a good thing. It's when we have a lack of balance that's the problem. So people think it's just musculoskeletal, like you said. People think it's just fibromyalgia maybe or arthritis or like you said, you have a headache. Maybe they can think about that as inflammation or just tight, sore 
muscles and joints. Those are all inflammatory, certainly. But that's just the musculoskeletal system. We also have to look at the other systems on the inflammation spectrum. We have to look mm-hmm. at the brain. We have to look at the immune system. We have to look at the gut. We have to look at the hor- hormones. We have to look at all the different other uh, far-reaching uh, implications of inflammation, not just musculoskeletal. So, yeah, the, 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 uh, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, like the NSAID <clears throat> drugs, definitely have educated people over the years <laughs> that that's a form of impl- inflammation, which fantastic. They've educated in that one category. Right. But I think there's a learning curve definitely on the other components of how inflammation can impact other parts of the body. So how are you seeing this showing up in children? Oh my goodness. So it's something that I see in my clinic a lot on, on an almost daily basis because <clears throat> it's not just impacting adults. We used to call these things you know, adult onset or these things, these chronic degenerative issues you could expect to increase as you aged and it was sort of age-related health problem. But we're seeing an epidemic rise of inflammatory health problems in kids, not just in my clinic consulting online, but it's around the world Um, from a statistics standpoint. The epidemic rise of things like ADHD, autism, uh, and autoimmune conditions like direct autoimmune conditions. And some researchers would consider autism in some cases having an autoimmune component um, for certainly not all cases. But um autoimmunity as well kids with Hashimoto's kids with kids with rheumatoid arthritis kids with lupus other autoimmune issues and then it's important to note that those are just diagnosable autoimmune conditions that the criteria for diagnosis for most of those health problems are happen years like that basically it took a long time to get to be where they're at in most cases obviously with kids it's going to not be as long as most adults it was a sudden onset it was a triggered response like type 1 diabetes where it could be overnight where the immune system turns against the pancreas and attacks it as in the case of type 1 diabetes or against the thyroid in the case of <clears throat> sorry Hashimoto's but For many people, these are chronic degenerative things, and research estimates it's about 7 to 10 years prior to the diagnosis is when things start brewing. And obviously, there can be less or more than that, depending on the person that you're talking to. But no matter what age you're at, it's important to, you know, if you're a parent, to listen to your kids, to be mindful of kids, be advocates for your kids, and to... um, do your due diligence, and not. This isn't to put fear in parents. This isn't to, to, to become obsessive or stressed out. This is really just saying, hey, look, if your kids are feeling fantastic, then great. Like, there's no, don't become obsessive about this. But parents know, and parents can see an epidemic rise around them, even if it's not their own kids. They can see the level of food reactions and food allergies in the school. They can see the level of autoimmune conditions. They can see the level of autism in the school, like their kids, their, their, their kids' friends and the other schoolmates that are there. I mean, this is, was not going on to this degree just a couple of decades ago. Right. Um, but yet you, it would be hard-pressed to find a school without some sort of severe food allergy. Well, what are these? These are immune-mediated issues. These are inflammatory problems. So with having your two children, how do you, how do you guys eat? I mean, this is, this is such a challenge. I mean, we try and feed our kids 
healthy. We, you know, we cook at home, we do all this stuff, but then they get to school and they're sharing food with their friends. My kids don't eat school lunch, but um, like, how do you raise kids to be healthy in this culture? I mean, it is so difficult, even with best efforts at home. It is. It's definitely difficult. Uh, I would say you just going back to my earlier statement of knowing your kids and speaking to them in a language that's age appropriate, that is filled with grace and uh, balance and not being overly dogmatic or shaming or obsessive or creating a disordered eating, which I think Mm -hmm. can really happen in this space, especially amongst girls. So I think it's really important to just really less is more in many ways and teach Instead of focusing on all the things they can't have, focus on all the yummy things they get to have and finding healthy alternatives to the things that they love. So let's say it's like, um, you know, chicken nuggets or fries, find like the gluten free or even grain free or make your own chicken nuggets and, and bread it in, um, flour it with, uh, almond flour instead of regular flour or the, the, the fries, fry them in avocado oil or, you know, something other than a bad like canola oil or the air fryer, the air fryer, there you go. The (laughs) magic of the air fryer. Um, that's, but then obviously you mentioned like with school, I think that that informing the kids, uh, as early as you can. And obviously we all having this aha moment at different points in our kids ages, and you can't go back and change things from the past. And we all, there's not a parent under the sun that didn't wish they could do things better. Like we all wish we could go back and do some things better when it comes to parenting, but we can't. So what we have to do is start now, no matter if your kids are teenagers or they're younger, it's easier when they're younger because you can start to change things and it won't be, it'll just be more second nature the more that they live with that. But what I found with my kids, and they're definitely not perfect eaters, they don't eat everything perfect. And I think that's important to say, but they know my imperfect kids, my my kids that are just like every other kids will know when I'm at so-and-so, they'll ask the ingredients for it. And it's not because I even told them to ask it. They just – it was just the way that it was. They'll say, hey, does, is that gluten-free? Um, and my kids don't have any autoimmune conditions, thank God. But they have – like my son doesn't feel good whenever he has gluten. Right. So he'll feel like more like digestive issues or he has the, some inflammatory symptoms and he knows for himself – he won't. It's not worth it for him. My daughter has some d- different foods. They just know their body, I think, and they they rather feel better than they miss that food. And occasionally, their kids they'll have that food that they know that that doesn't work for them. But it's still informing them. And just like with adults, we can take inventory for ourselves and say, was that worth it? Right. I probably do, I won't do it like that again. If I have that again, I'll probably have less of it. And it's that sort of awareness that I want my kids to grow into. So it's not punitive. It's not dogmatic. It's not making them so orthorexic where they're having stress and shame about healthy eating. So it's definitely – and that those same rules apply for the adults. That say, the same rules have to apply to mom and dad too right. or any parent. So I think that uh, that's that's what I try to do with my kids. It's a little bit easier because my kids are homeschooled um, for me, but they weren't always homeschooled. Right. And it, it, for my patients, it's the other level. Like, not I can't think of any other patients that, of mine that are kids that are homeschooled. So I'm used to making this practical and realistic 
on a professional level. Um, and my kids still have sleepovers and go over to their friend's house. So I still know what that's like. Um, and it's, it's just a matter of doing the best you can with the resources you have and the access you have. It's definitely harder with blended families. It's harder with, you know, if you're at mom's house one day, one week and dad's house the next week, it's harder. Um, because if you're not on the same page, uh, but I am used to navigating that, uh, and trying to get all the parents on the same page. Yeah. So you mentioned at the start of the podcast that you, um, on your podcast, are, are working towards making men more aware of their health issues because women are always talking about it. Um, so what are some of the challenges that you see in for men and perhaps, you know, dads, I guess, that's probably the demographic here. Um, what are some of the challenges that, that you see and that you're addressing like in your work? Uh, it's interesting cause I, I'm seeing higher than ever numbers of guys as patients consulting them online. Uh, and I think it is pod there. It is the uh, rise of podcasts and informing people. Um, and they, that's how they're learning. Their guys are not so much on social media, uh, where they're kind of sharing it in the same way that women are sharing it on social media, but guys are learning through podcasts off of social media in many cases, and then becoming informed that way. And I, I have, see, like over these past 11 years of doing this in functional medicine, I have seen the rise, and a lot of them actually come from podcasts. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and I think that the the barrier is guys just being in tune with their body. I think it's just that they are good at putting things off and procrastinating. And a lot of moms are good at that too, um, of just putting themselves in the back burner. But I think guys are not necessarily doing it from a selfless place (laughs) where I think, I think moms are doing it because they're selfless and they're just putting their family first, which they need to, they only can give what they have. So that's the message to moms there and putting their health first because not feeling your best is not you're not going to be able to be the best mom or wife or partner that you can be. Um, but on the flip side, I think guys are putting themselves in the back burner, but it's like they just don't want to look at it. They're kind of just ignoring it in many ways or they're downplaying it or they're comparing themselves to other people and saying, eh, it's normal. Um, or they're putting their job first and they're right. putting like other I was things. I say that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I have to, I don't have time to take off of work. I don't, I, can't, I don't even have time for a doctor's appointment. Uh, and it's just not a high priority, right? Because we all make time for things that we have a passion for. We all have make times for things that are time for things that are important to us. In most cases, of course, there's exceptions to that rule. But what I've found is that most people, and again, almost all of my patients are just normal working class people. What I've seen that over this human behavior over this past 11 years of doing this is that most of the time people, the excuses are just that, they're excuses. And ultimately, if something's important to us, we have that wake up call, we make things happen. Even if, it, even if we need to schedule it out and work it with our schedule, we need to make our health a priority. And that applies to almost everybody. Um, and I, we do everything we can to make this more accessible and more affordable and more realistic for the average person because we know that it's a barrier for some people. Right. Um, so we definitely keep that in mind uh, and have made bigger measures to do that um, to, to provide the support that people need at this time. But I think the guys are waking up. And I think that it's a it's connected to this larger societal waking awakening that's happening, um, and I think guys are starting to realize, well, I should probably listen to my wife or I should probably listen <laughs> to my my partner about this uh, thing, you know. And it's not just 
someone nagging me this is actually real and i need to do i need to do right by myself like if someone's you you cannot care more for somebody's health than they care about their health and people need to have that wake-up call to care about their health um no matter what that looks like right how do you encourage people to so that someone will come to you they'll want to change some things but then i you know i i do some life coaching with women and i notice they'll come they'll be like super excited for two weeks and then they'll just disappear and then we'll have a, a re-engagement you know to talk about what's going on and and they just seem to not have the i don't want to say motivation or i don't want to say discipline or anything i don't want to use those words but they don't seem to have the awakening i guess would be mm -hmm. a good word how yeah. even though they know they want it there's just this and you can see it i can see it we can all see it but how do you bridge that gap to help people realize you know how do you help them have that light bulb moment that mm -hmm. this is what they want this is why they came to you like this is exactly yeah. what they want how do you help them with that Totally. I see that. I do see that um, quite frequently, actually. Um, and where the, they have enough of an awakening to get them to that point right. where the, they are at the consult, they are not in denial, but they self-sabotage. And I think that that is a major problem. And it's coaching them through that, I think, where uh, meeting them where they're at, they're not going to be perfect. And that's so like, and this is a conversation that I'm always having with my team and we're going back and forth on it is that Sometimes you have to you're giving too much too soon for someone that doesn't have a vessel for what you're giving them And sometimes it's better to be incremental and leaning into something Because at least you're progressing Versus saying well you have to do all or nothing and if you don't do all you're a failure because that's how they feel So that's where they if they're not meeting the standards of whatever they're putting if they're putting them the standards on themselves Or they feel like they're letting you down. They just feel like well I'm just gonna give it all up and then then they feel the guilt and shame and remorse and then they go back and it's just back and forth back and forth and it's really a remnant of this dieting culture that we have where it is based it's shame-based really and i think shifting the paradigm from a shame-based perspective on wellness whatever that means whether that's food wellness or life wellness or whatever uh, mental physical spiritual emotional wellness is to not have it come from a shame-based place but have it from a, a place of grace and have it come from a place of we are going to meet you where you're at and you progressing in, the, in a positive direction is better than you not progressing at all even if it's slower even if it's at your own pace um and not comparing themselves to like the perfect patient or the perfect client um because ultimately that what i found is that if you're incremental with somebody and you sort of just hold space for them even while they're self-sabotaging and coming and going and and like doing it for a little bit and stopping they will if you give them enough time and if they stick with it enough if they have enough of awareness to stick with it even through their self-sabotage cycles they will have that transition and have that aha moment have that light bulb where it trend then they have shifted their paradigm from this is a program or this is something that I paid for, or this is a diet, or this is a plan, or whatever, to this is my life, right? and I'm going to own it for myself, and all I'm trying to do is find out what works for me and what doesn't work for me in my life, whether that's food or anything else when it comes to wellness. So that's what I've found over over my years of, of consulting patients. Yeah, that's such great advice. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head that you're, as a practitioner, you're not necessarily putting the pressure on them they're doing it to themselves but out of this diet culture this whole like 
I have to be perfect. I have to fix everything. But yet none of that has worked for the last, you know, three, four decades. And so getting people to realize like exactly what you said, that life is, it's just life. It's not, you know, between here and the next three months, like we're not Mm -hmm. setting three month goals and then I'm going to do whatever I want. Like this is about living. Exactly. Moving forward. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk quickly about ketotarian. I know we wanted to just mention that. Um, so this is so interesting. So, so interesting to me because keto, when people think of keto, they think cheese, meat, and fat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. how, how do you get around that? <laughs> bacon and butter. Um, <laughs> bacon and butter. yeah, bacon and butter. That's the keto way. Right. But I mean, the other alternative to that, uh, is ketotarian. And that was actually my first book. And it's interesting because I talk about the inflammation spectrum, this concept of inflammation existing on a continuum from low grade symptoms to extreme symptoms in ketotarian first. So my second book is really just a deep dive in a concept that I talk about in ketotarian. Um, now what ketotarian is, is, is it allows patients to, or allows the reader, um, to get the benefits of ketosis, the fat burning, brain boosting, anti-inflammatory, of the anti-aging mechanisms that research is pointing to in ketosis, but doing it in a clean way with clean, a clean ketogenic approach and a sustainable way. Um, and it was really born out of my own health journey and co- coinciding my experience in functional medicine and seeing what works and what doesn't work for patients around the world with this stuff and how food impacts your body and like, okay, can you leverage the benefits of ketosis and also do it in a cleaner way, in my opinion. And there's, that's not to say that meat is dirty. And I don't mean that to say, and when you read the book, you'll realize that. And the cover says mostly plant-based for a reason. Uh, It's not all vegan keto, even though Yes, most of the recipes are vegan keto because I wanted to basically show people that they could do it and what it would look like with the recipes and the meal plans and the pretty pictures and all that stuff. But then the other side of it is it's it's even like this vegetarian keto, meaning we bring eggs and ghee in and then uh, pescatarian keto, which has wild caught fish and fresh seafood, but still predominantly plant centric. And I think that's the way most people should eat. I think that the again, under the umbrella of that, the goal with the inflammation spectrum, my second book is to finding out what foods they should focus on to calm inflammation for their body because they're all different. But under that umbrella, I think that it would work for most people, whether they do a cyclical ketotarian approach, which is how I eat. I'm not saying everybody needs to be in ketosis all day, every day, forever, but to get metabolic flexibility, to allow your body to tap into this fat burning mechanism of ketosis, but then what I recommend in the book is for most people to do a cyclical ketotarian approach where after they've gone mostly plant-based keto or ketotarian for about eight weeks, then they can, they've built the metabolic flexibility. They, they become a fat burner. They're burning ketones. Their brain's sharper. They're lowered inflammation because beta hydroxybutyrate, the ketone, helps to lower inflammatory cascades in the body. We talk about inflammation in that book too. But then you can do a cyclical approach. So maybe for women around their period, around ovulation, they can increase their carbs. They can bring more sweet potatoes or fruits or a fruit or a smoothie in around those those times. Or 
um, anybody like around like a heavy workout, maybe they do need some kindling on the fire, so to speak. And that's what sugar is. It's kindling on the fire. But you also need a log on the fire, and that's burning fat for fuel. Um, but I want people to have the option of kindling and a log. Most people just have kindling on the lo- on the fire all day long, and that's why they need to have six meals a day, and they get hangry, and they get irritable. <laughs> it's because they have kindling all freaking day long. So I, I'm just t- teaching people how to, from a fuel standpoint, to put the log on the fire, it burns slower, it's more sustainable, it'll last longer for, for energy and for cognitive function and just feeling great. So you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast just how busy you are. What is something that you continue to do every day in your 24 hours that kind of keeps you grounded and sane during this crazy time? Yeah, so I what I do that I really love, I love doing time-restricted feeding and I'm restrict, uh, t- uh, intermittent fasting. Um, I... I, like I'm doing that right now where I will um, just drink green tea or Earl Grey tea in the morning. Earl Grey tea has bergamot in it, which is a citrus from Calabria in Italy. And uh, it, it enhances something called autophagy. And the catechins in the black tea and the green tea do that too. It's cellular repair and cellular recycling. So ketosis increases autophagy too. It's a cellular recycling, anti-aging, like anti-disease pathway that I'm fascinated with. So I, in the craziness of my schedule, doing a little bit of time-restricted feeding where I'm still eating yummy foods and eating until I'm full in a specific window – I I like that sort of centering, grounding time of fasting and getting the sharpness of these benefits that I talk about. Uh, That's one thing that I do almost every day, definitely throughout the work week um, that I, I really love. Well, thank you, Dr. Cole. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. 